You're listening to the weekly podcast from Bridgeway Church in Greenville, South Carolina, where we help people walk in friendship with God. Now I want to welcome up the very tan, back from vacation, Chad Norris. I feel like I'm at a baseball game. Pinch hitting for Juan Valdez. Glad to be back. Excited on behalf of my family. We really are glad to be back. Thank you so much uh, just for this church's generosity. Uh, my batteries are recharged. I'm going to try to stay calm. I've got about 10 weeks in me this morning in 20 minutes, so that could be a problem. I really am glad to be back. Elders meet this coming Thursday night. We'll lay out a clear plan by next Sunday of what it looks like to move back inside. I just appreciate uh, this church leaning in towards unity. It's unprecedented times. There's 10 million opinions. The world seems to be at chaos. But if you look at church history, it's actually a perfect time for the Father to do something uh, unusual in your life, really. Like, seriously, I, I think I could do a whole series on uh, when it looks like chaos, it's a perfect recipe, not just for God to do stuff in the world, but in you. When, you, when you're unstable, you grab for something. You're going to grab for something one way or another. Um, I'm excited this morning. I had a great little sermon prepared, even had it written out on my phone like they taught me in seminary, and then the Holy Spirit woke me up at 2.30 a.m. last night and talked to me from 2.30 to 5, and so I'm going to talk to you about what he talked to me about instead of my little sermon. They had three really good points on it. I'm going to go a different direction. I started preaching in uh, 1993. First sermon I ever preached was horrific. It was out of the book of Daniel. I don't know what I said, and I'm sure no one else did. Since then, from 1993... Till now, I've probably preached on the temptation story in Luke, my guess would be 20 times, maybe more. I know a ministry I I co-founded, we wrote a lot of curriculum, even on the story, three temptations of Jesus. You want to talk about drama. You got the father sending the son, sinless son, into a desert to be tempted by the devil, and he can't eat. For 40 days. I mean, I know I've been through some tight spots, but nothing like that. I mean, that's just an unusual test. I've never preached on what happened right after he got out of the desert. And so I'm going to do that this morning. I'll make this so simple you can't misunderstand it. The higher you go in God, the higher level of devils you will face in your life. And 99% of the time, the devils you face will come through other people, typically insiders, not outsiders. So let me say that again. The higher you go in God, so because well, you know, what's the purpose of Jesus going into the desert? It's not to get sin out of him. It has nothing to do with that. It's undeniable that Jesus Christ, sinless Lamb of God, is strengthened in the desert, right? Y'all with me? Y'all got to help me out of here. Y'all are so far away from me, it feels kind of weird. I'm going to give it a go here. When he comes out of the desert, it's undeniable he comes out with something he didn't have before the desert. Power. The higher you go in God, and the more his aroma is on you. Psalm 24, who can ascend the mountain of God? The higher you get towards the Father's nostrils, and you make your home up into his chest, like the Apostle John did with Jesus. He's the only one in the upper room with his head on the chest. The deeper you go in God also is the the deeper the level of demonic that will come at you in your life. And 99% of the time, the way that that will happen is through people. And most of the time, it will be through people who profess the same God as your God. Saul was a gift to David. Saul was the anointed king of Israel that became demonized. And people say, well, you know, I'm a disciple of Christ. The enemy can't have a foothold in me. Hang on a second. 
Judas Iscariot was a disciple of Jesus Christ for three years and Satan entered his body. That's a disciple of Jesus. That's not an outsider. When David goes to do his business with Goliath, the voice of the enemy comes through his literal brother, Eliab, and Eliab starts taunting him. you got to have eyes to see. Eliab is not the one taunting him. It's the devil behind the voice that's using Eliab's mouth. You know, warfare seems really strange and sometimes mystical. It's, it's not really that strange. It typically comes through gossip, slander, or intimidation through another person towards you, and most of the time it will be from someone who professes the same God that you profess. I'll give you an example. The biggest gift in Paul's life, Paul never wanted to open this gift. Imagine Christmas morning, you're an 11-year-old kid, you're so excited, you might want you. A kid opens up socks, it's like, what, what are we doing here? You know, I don't play Fortnite, I don't want to wear Hanes socks or underwear. Dads get underwear and socks. Every Christmas, I watch my father get brute 33 for 33 straight years. God gave Paul a gift in Judaizers. Who were the Judaizers? They were a sect of Christianity that stirred up trouble for Paul everywhere he went. They weren't outsiders. They believed in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They just had a couple of different views, but they were still right around him. And, and Paul said, Lord, I can't do this anymore. A lot of people try to preach that as a sickness. It wasn't a sickness. The thorn wasn't a sickness. You go study it. The Greek word there is angelos. The whole idea there is that the Judaizers stirred up trouble all the time for Paul. And uh, God showed me something at the beach. I have never seen this in my life. It blew my mind. He said, Chad, it was not time for Elijah to give up his mantle to Elisha. I had to make the exchange because Elijah was too afraid to confront Jezebel. Remember when the, the king, the new king, I think it was Jehu, had to go take Jezebel out? I'm going to preach on that next week. Do you know that it was actually Elijah's assignment to deal with Jezebel? So a man so brave could deal with 850 illegal prophets. It's pretty scary. You imagine 800 prophets. Fire falls from heaven, but the voice of one demonic principality through a woman, Elijah ran from, and then God had to deal with him on it. We went to uh, Table Rock area a couple of days ago. And uh, I, I think it's around the 60th hike I've been on. In December of 2018, I just, I just said, I'm going to get in shape. I'm going to do it. And I'm going to do it the right way. I've done about every diet known to man. You know, you can fast for a couple of days. It like you lost 20 pounds. But I said, I'm going to do this the right way. On every hike, every single hike, there's always a moment where I say, what am I doing? Why am I here? Every hike, what am I doing? Well, this one, it was about 212 degrees. We get up towards the apex of this mountain, and I had that moment of like, what, what am I doing here? And when I was at the top of Pinnacle Mountain, the Holy Spirit took me back and reminded me of Nazareth. You guys would be surprised if you went to Israel, which I'm sure we're going to be taking a lot of trips, and we'll, I plan on going back with Wendy many times. Nazareth is on an incline about like this. Has anyone ever been to, to Israel? The, the, nothing's flat there. So the whole idea of the mountain imagery... In the, in the Psalms, it's, it's like literal there. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord, the Psalms of ascent. I mean, Israel is like this, really. And Nazareth is tiny. I would say Nazareth is about the size of our property, maybe double. I mean, it is really tiny, really small. It's very surprising. Jesus grew up on a hill. Well, after he goes and gets tempted by the devil for 40 days, he passes the test, he comes out in more power. Something really bizarre happens on this hill. It was on a hill 
where his own family drug him to the top of the hill and they were going to throw him off. Now, I want to read this passage because the, the demonic encounters that you will have the rest of your life, many of you think they'll be through bad dreams or maybe through bad thought patterns. Most of the time, the enemy's going to come at you through intimidating you through people around you that know you. So let me, let me read this. This is Jesus Christ of Nazareth. We say love has to look like something. Sometimes love looks like not, not um, cooperating with the intimidation. So then Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Reports about him spread quickly through the whole region. He taught regularly in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. Well, not everyone. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. He enrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. So he rolls up the scroll, hands it back to the attendant, and sits down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently, and then he began to speak to them, the scripture you have just heard has been fulfilled this very day. That's not shocking to you. I promise you that is shocking to the early listener. They are not happy campers. Everybody's a happy camper until someone starts walking in a high level of authority in God. You should be at such a high place at God where there's no one neutral in your life. People either really don't like you or they're inspired by you. They used to say about Smith Wigglesworth, people hated him or they loved him. There was never any neutral ground. So Jesus goes to a very high place in God. He comes back. They're not happy. It says, everyone spoke well of him and was amazed by the gracious words that came from his lips. But then this happens. Well, how can this be? They asked. Isn't this Joseph's son? I love watching um, my 11-year-old. He has this video game. I can't imagine having this when I was a kid, where they can play video games and talk to people uh, anywhere in the world, like friends. Like we're at the beach, and he can play a video game and play with his friends who are nine hours away. Imagine one day my 11-year-old grows up and a guy, let's just say Isaac Pellegrino, one of his good buddies. You say, whatever happened to Isaac? And you catch up on Facebook and you say, and then the word goes like this, the story's like this. You know, Isaac grew up, he was actually the son of God. He was God in flesh. He ended up dying for the sins of the world. He ascended into heaven, sprinkled his own blood on the mercy seat. That's just an incredible story. You it's preposterous, and I have grace for these people because it's not like he had angelic halos around his head. This is Yeshua. He just grew up in a small town about the size of the... Actually, Bridgeway Church would be bigger than what Nazareth was. Picture like 400 people. They just know him as Joseph's son. You, you see him at the town corner a lot. You see him around. He's just a normal kid, so you think. But all of a sudden, this kid grows up. And you, you watch a principle here that as you start to grow in God, you receive honor from just about everyone but the people that know you. One of the highest levels of the prophetic you will ever get to is when you can see what someone carries that's even in your own biological family. If I bring in a guest speaker, we brought Heidi Baker in one time. I think we had about 1,500 people at the church. People drive from hundreds of miles away. But talk to Heidi behind closed doors, it's not that way with her own biological family. You know, it's just Mama Heidi. 
It's the same way in all of our lives. And one of the strategies that God wants to help you with is to give you the ability to not take the bait when people right around you try to intimidate you and tell you who you're not. That boss that just knows you for the last nine years. Well, that's just you. You have to learn to hear the voice of the devil through other people and be able to silence that voice by not taking the bait. Most of God's kids take the bait of intimidation all the time. Now, I've actually never had this happen to me. It's one thing to have something nasty said about you on social media. I want you to imagine this happening to you. Imagine this happening to me right now. Here we go. Then he said, you will undoubtedly quote me this proverb. This is Jesus. Physician, heal yourself. Do miracles here in your hometown like those you did in Capernaum. But I tell you the truth, no prophet is accepted in his own hometown. Certainly there were many needy widows in Israel in Elijah's time. And when the heavens were closed for three and a half years and a severe famine devastated the land. And yet Elijah was not sent to any of them. He was sent instead to a foreigner, a widow of Zarephath in the land of Sidon. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, but the only one healed was Naaman, a Syrian. When they heard this, the people in the synagogue were furious. So he calls them out right here. It's grace and truth. It's not grace and grace. Jesus is grace and truth. He died for the same people he called whitewashed tombs. He died for the same people he said, your father is the devil. I never thought in my life that I would have to get to a point where I'm going to have to preach on the truth of homosexuality in the church. The world has gotten to a place where we just, truth is so subjective. It's like, well, you know, whatever's true for me is true for me. There's actual things that Jesus, full of love, full of grace, full of hope, full of glory, will speak truth into that other people will say, what right do you have to say something like, who do you think you are? It's not grace and grace, it's grace and truth. And right now what's happening is there's a massive sifting in the church worldwide. Massive. A lot of things that Jeremiah Johnson's prophesying, I've been preaching here for five years. If you go to a church that doesn't call out sin, you need to highly question yourself. Seriously. There's a great cleaning going on in the church right now. In Jesus, love has to look like something that looks like Jesus, and sometimes it looks like him calling out such hard truth that it can feel hard to hear. And we have become such a politically correct society that if you speak truth into anyone, you're called, well, you're emotionally abusing me. You're spiritually abusing me. Who do you think you are? You're tyrannical. Jesus called them, you whitewashed tombs, and then died for them. You see, we're a paradoxical movement here at Bridgeway. All five of our core values are paradox. I want you to look what happens. They drag him up when they heard this. The people in the synagogue were furious. Jumping up, they mobbed him and forced him to the edge of the hill on which the town was built. They forced him to the edge of the hill. I have never seen this in my life. I've never read this from anybody. The devil loves to mimic what Abba calls us to. Who can ascend the mountain, the apex, the summit? Who can go to the top of the summit? And so what does the devil do? He wants to drag Jesus to the top. Remember even the temptations? Throw yourself down from here. In the high places in God will always be the high places of the demonic. And the way in which you defeat that is learning to not just tolerate, but to speak truth and the lies when the father tees the ball up on the tee. And if you don't, what's going to happen is this. You're going to think you're being humble when you're ab actually abdicating your own authority and giving it to your Eliabs, giving it to these people. You know what Jesus does? He just walks right through them. This next nine weeks after today is going to be about how to love people well and call out lies when you need to call out lies. If you look at David before he goes and fights Goliath, I love David's response to Eliab. I just love it. I love Elijah's response to the prophets when they are, when they are taunting him. 
in one in one moment, Elijah is so full of like boldness, and then the next moment he's scared of Jezebel. We have a little sign in our kitchen, and um, our family likes to put little sayings up there. And the Holy Spirit told me to put up there, I control me. So it says, I control me. Do you understand when Jesus took the keys from the enemy and gave authority back to you, that authority is actually in your hands more than you've ever thought before? Oh, man, the Father has shown me so much at the beach. He told me I have abdicated my authority at this church so many times. I think humility is being passive when actually humility is being confronted many times the way David was with Goliath. God has shown me how much we actually control. I can't tell you how many times I'll be praying for someone in their physical sickness and nothing will happen when I'm talking to the Father and the moment I start commanding their body, stuff happens. I have probably a thousand stories over the last 17 years of walking in this stuff that when I'm talking to the Father, it's almost like a waste of time. And when I take that authority and I speak to the problem, stuff happens. I have seen a shift in my family. I have seen a shift in my marriage. I have seen a shift in my kiddos. I have seen a shift in my revelation when recently, instead of just spending so much time in intimacy with the Father, I've been making bold declarations about my life, about my assignment, about finishing well, about the authority I have in my family. There's way more power in your mouth than you think possible. There's way more power. Being silent is not always a win. Now, the only way to know when to speak and when not to speak is to be spirit-led. When Jesus is before Pontius Pilate, he's quiet. When Jesus is in the temple in John 6, 7, and 8, he's not quiet. If you speak when the Father's grace is not on it, you're in the flesh. But if the Father's grace is on you to speak truth into demonic opposition and you don't, you actually abdicate your authority and you hand it over to the enemy and wonder why power is decreasing in your life. And you say, well, I wonder if I've ever done that. We've all done it. And it's typically harder to overcome around those who are right around you, not the people you don't know. So next week, we're really going to jump into this Elijah thing and this Jezebel thing. Since I started pastoring a a charismatic church, I think I hear the name Jezebel once a week. And we're just going to talk about that. What is that? And um, God's response to Elijah when he ran is pretty surprising. God was not a happy camper. God had to send someone else to do Elijah's job because Elijah wouldn't do it. I want to uh, just make some declarations over this church as we close today. Is the sun behind a cloud right now? That's better. I thought it felt a little cooler up here. Um, I want to do this. I want to open up this altar, and let me give an invitation here. If you want me to pray for you, I want want to pray for you. Just be spirit-led on this. If you and your past have dealt with intimidation a lot, and the enemy has intimidated for you a long time, and maybe going all the way back to when you were a kiddo, and he has silenced your voice, and you tend to confuse humility with timidity, and you want me to bless you as the father of this house that you would step into a season of sincere courage, I just want you to come forward, spread out, I'm going to speak a blessing over you. There's something about coming forward for this, though. If, if you are sick and tired of the enemy, if you're more like Elijah with Jezebel than you are Elijah with the prophets, come on down here, I'm going to pray for you. You really see this in the life of Timothy. I've never seen it. I, I didn't really understand timidity until being at the beach and really studying this. 
Paul's trying to get Timothy out of timidity because when you step into timidity, you actually hand your authority over to the devil. Goodness gracious. The battle's never about people, ever. It's about the spirits that use people. There is an incredible verse in James that says, you resist the devil and he will flee from you. Do you know what the word flee means in the Greek? Y'all listen to me. It means run in stark terror. Listen to that. You resist the devil and the devil will run from you in stark terror. Mm. This is Isaiah 14. On that day, they stared at him and, and said, you're the one. You're the one that made the nations tremble. You're not as weak as you think you are. Your weakness actually draws on the power of God, but your inability to speak truth into the enemy, you actually abdicate your own authority. If you just open up your hands, I bless you, Bridgeway. I bless you in the name of Jesus Christ that you would step into a level of boldness in your ascent up the mountain in this season. Father, I ask that you eradicate from this church body any illegal timidity, I ask you, Father, for such a boldness to love people well and speak truth in the opposition of demonic lies. Lord, honestly, we do want to be like you. I, I want to be like you. I want to be like you. I want to be bold. I want to be tender, but I also want to be confrontive when you're calling us to be confrontive. I bless you, those that have walked down here, that you would find a boldness, that you would, you would find that lion arising from your belly, that you would love tenderly and confront boldly, that you would be like Jesus. I bless you with this ultimate paradox of tenderness and confrontation. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to thank you guys for, for being here this morning. Like I said, elders meet uh, this Thursday night. We'll have a plan next Sunday what it looks like to, to move forward. I love you guys. I have never been more excited about pastoring this church. Babe, won't you come up here and just release us today with a blessing? Father, you are sincerely so good to your people. Jesus, that you would entrust the Holy Spirit, Spirit of God. And so on the, on the authority of Jesus Christ, I bless you to walk in the full empowerment that he has put in you. I bless you to, to walk in a level of fear today that you did not walk in yesterday before the Holy One, and to walk in a level of confidence and courage today that you didn't walk in yesterday in the presence of the evil one, that there would be a courage that rises in you, a boldness that rises in you, a hatred for the things that the Holy One hates, and a love for the things that the Holy One loves today more than yesterday. I bless you at the three o'clock hour today in your midday to be aware of his presence, the Holy One, more at three o'clock today than you are even right now. I bless you with the courage to question a thought that you have and to ask, is that holy? And to submit it and to the Holy One, to say, Holy One, put your words and your thoughts on this, and I bless you to take courage to do something with it. To either actively walk in what he's given you, to receive it, or actively walk 
and what has been given you to reject it in Jesus' name. I bless you to be curious today with God. I bless you with courage to say, Lord, what do you see in me that I don't see? I bless you with the humility today that you didn't walk in yesterday an interest to understand today that you didn't walk in yesterday, an interest to connect with someone in a way that you didn't walk in yesterday. I bless you to be one who is progressively walking with God. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Thanks for listening. To learn more and support what's going on here at Bridgeway Church, visit bridgewaychurch.org. As Pastor Chad always says, be at peace.